0: book two chapter four of personal recollections of joan of arc this librivox recording is in the public domain personal recollections of joan of arc by mark twain book two chapter four joan leads us through the enemy we were called to quarters and subjected to a searching inspection by joan then she made a short little talk in which she said that even the rude business of war could be conducted better without profanity and other brutalities of speech than with them, and that she should strictly require us to remember and apply this admonition. She ordered half an hour's horsemanship drill for the novices, then, and appointed one of the veterans to conduct it. It was a ridiculous exhibition, but we learned something, and Joan was satisfied and complimented us. She did not take any instruction herself or go through the evolution and maneuvers, but merely sat her horse like a martial little statue and looked on. That was sufficient for her, you see. She would not miss or forget a detail of the lesson. She would take it all in with her eye and her mind, and apply it afterward, with as much certainty and confidence as if she had already practiced it. We now made three night-marches of twelve or thirteen leagues each riding in peace and undisturbed, being taken for a roving band of free companions. Country folk were glad to have that sort of people go by without stopping. Still they were very wearying marches, and not comfortable, for the bridges were few and the streams many, and as we had to ford them we found the water dismally cold, and afterward had to bed ourselves, still wet, on the frosty or snowy ground, and get warm as we might, and sleep if we could." for it would not have been prudent to build fires. Our energies languished under these hardships and deadly fatigues, but Jones did not. Her step kept its spring and firmness, and her eye its fire. We could only wonder at this, we could not explain it. But if we had had hard times before, I know not what to call the five nights that now followed, for the marches were as fatiguing, the baths as cold— and we were ambuscaded seven times in addition, and lost two novices and three veterans in the resulting fights. The news had leaked out and gone abroad that the inspired virgin of Vaucouleurs was making for the king with an escort, and all the roads were being watched now. These five nights disheartened the command a good deal. This was aggravated by a discovery which Noel made, and which he promptly made known at headquarters some of the men had been trying to understand why joan continued to be alert vigorous and confident while the strongest men in the company were fagged with the heavy marches and exposure and were become morose and irritable there it shows you how men can have eyes and yet not see all their lives those men had seen their own women folks hitched up with a cow and dragging the plow in the fields while the men did the driving They had also seen other evidences that women have far more endurance and patience and fortitude than men, but what good had their seeing these things been to them? None. It had taught them nothing. They were still surprised to see a girl of seventeen bear the fatigues of war better than trained veterans of the army. Moreover, they did not reflect that a great soul with a great purpose can make a weak body strong and keep it so. And here was the greatest soul in the universe— but how could they know that those dumb creatures no they knew nothing and their reasonings were of a piece with their ignorance they argued and discussed among themselves with noel listening and arrived at the decision that joan was a witch and had her strange pluck and strength from satan so they made a plan to watch for a safe opportunity to take her life To have secret plottings of this sort going on in our midst was a very serious business, of course, and the knights asked Joan's permission to hang the plotters, but she refused without hesitancy. She said Neither these men nor any others can take my life before my mission is accomplished. Therefore, why should I have their blood upon my hands? I will inform them of this, and also admonish them. Call them before me. When they came, she made that statement to them in a plain, matter of fact way, and just as if the thought never entered her mind that any one could doubt it, after she had given her word that it was true. The men were evidently amazed and impressed to hear her say such a thing in such a sure and confident way, for prophecies boldly uttered never fall barren on superstitious ears. Yes, this speech certainly impressed them, but her closing remark impressed them still more. It was for the ringleader, and Joan said it sorrowfully. "'It is a pity that you should plot another's death.' when your own is so close at hand. That man's horse stumbled and fell on him in the first ford which we crossed that night, and he was drowned before we could help him. We had no more conspiracies. This night was harassed with ambuscades, but we got through without having any men killed. One more night would carry us over the hostile frontier if we had good luck, and we saw the night close down with a good deal of solicitude." always before we had been more or less reluctant to start out into the gloom and the silence to be frozen in the fords and persecuted by the enemy but this time we were impatient to get under way and have it over although there was promise of more and harder fighting than any of the previous nights had furnished moreover in front of us about three leagues there was a deep stream with a frail wooden bridge over it and as a cold rain mixed with snow had been falling steadily all day We were anxious to find out whether we were in a trap or not. If the swollen stream had washed away the bridge, we might properly consider ourselves trapped and cut off from escape. As soon as it was dark we filed out from the depth of the forest where we had been hidden, and began the march. From the time that we had begun to encounter ambushes, Joan had ridden at the head of the column, and she took this post now. By the time we had gone a league, the rain and snow had turned to sleet and under the impulse of the storm-wind it lashed my face like whips, and I envied Joan and the knights, who could close their visors and shut up their heads in their helmets as in a box. Now, out of the pitchy darkness and close at hand, came the sharp command, HALT! We obeyed. I made out a dim mass in front of us, which might be a body of horsemen, but one could not be sure. A man rode up and said to Joan, in a tone of reproof, Well, you have taken your time, truly! and what have you found out is she still behind us or in front joan answered in a level voice she is still behind this news softened the stranger's tone he said if you know that to be true you have not lost your time captain but are you sure how do you know because i have seen her seen her seen the virgin herself yes i have been in her camp is it possible captain raymond i ask you to pardon me for speaking in that tone just now you have performed a daring and admirable service where was she camped in the forest not more than a league from here good i was afraid we might be still behind her but now that we know she is behind us everything is safe she is our game we will hang her you shall hang her yourself no one has so well earned the privilege of abolishing this pestilent limb of satan i do not know how to thank you sufficiently if we catch her i-if i will take care of that give yourself no uneasiness all i want is just a look at her to see what the imp is like that has been able to make all this noise then you and the halter may have her how many men has she i counted but eighteen but she may have had two or three pickets out is that all it won't be a mouthful for my force is it true that she is only a girl yes she is not more than seventeen; "'It passes belief. Is she robust or slender?' "'Slender.' The officer pondered a moment or two, then he said, "'Was she preparing to break camp?' "'Not when I had my last glimpse of her.' "'What was she doing?' "'She was talking quietly with an officer.' "'Quietly? Not giving orders?' "'No. Talking as quietly as we are now.' "'That is good. She is feeling a false security.' She would have been restless and fussy else. It is the way of her sex when danger is about. As she was making no preparation to break camp, she certainly was not when I saw her last, and was chatting quietly and at her ease, it means that this weather is not to her taste. Night marching in sleet and wind is not for chits of seventeen. No, she will stay where she is. She has my thanks. We will camp ourselves. Here is as good a place as any. Let us get about it. If you command it, certainly.' but she has two knights with her they might force her to march particularly if the weather should improve i was scared and impatient to be getting out of this peril and it distressed and worried me to have joan apparently set herself to work to make delay and increase the danger still i thought she probably knew better than i what to do the officer said well in that case we are here to block the way yes if they come this way Uh, but if they should send out spies and find out enough to make them want to try for the bridge through the woods is it best to allow the bridge to stand it made me shiver to hear her the officer considered a while then said it might be well enough to send a force to destroy the bridge i was intending to occupy it with the whole command but that is not necessary now jones said tranquilly with your permission i will go and destroy it myself ah now i saw her idea and was glad she had had the cleverness to invent it and the ability to keep her head cool and think of it in that tight place the officer replied you have it captain and my thanks with you to do it it will be well done i could send another in your place but not a better they saluted and we moved forward i breathed freer a dozen times i had imagined i heard the hoof-beats of the real captain raymond's troop arriving behind us and had been sitting on pins and needles all the while that that conversation was dragging along i breathed freer but was still not comfortable for joan had given only the simple command forward consequently we moved in a walk moved in a dead walk past a dim and lengthening column of enemies at our side the suspense was exhausting yet it lasted but a short while for when the enemy's bugles sang the dismount, Joan gave the word to trot, and that was a great relief to me. She was always at herself, you see. Before the command to dismount had been given, somebody might have wanted the countersign somewhere along that line if we came flying by at speed, but now we seemed to be on our way to our allotted camping position, so we were allowed to pass unchallenged. The further we went, the more formidable was the strength revealed by the hostile force. Perhaps it was only a hundred or two, but to me it seemed a thousand. When we passed the last of these people I was thankful, and the deeper we plowed into the darkness beyond them the better I felt. I came nearer and nearer to feeling good for an hour. Then we found the bridge still standing, and I felt entirely good. We crossed it, and destroyed it, and then I felt—but I cannot describe what I felt. (laughs) One has to feel it himself in order to know what it is like we had expected to hear the rush of a pursuing force behind us for we thought that the real captain raymond would arrive and suggest that perhaps the troop that had been mistaken for his belonged to the virgin of but he must have been delayed seriously for when we resumed our march beyond the river there were no sounds behind us except those which the storm was furnishing I said that joan had harvested a good many compliments intended for captain raymond and that he would find nothing of a crop left but a dry stubble of reprimands when he got back and a commander just in the humor to superintend the gathering of it in joan said it will be as you say no doubt for the commander took a troop for granted in the night and unchallenged and would have camped without sending a force to destroy the bridge if he had been left unadvised and none are so ready to find fault with others as those who do things worthy of blame themselves the sieur bertrand was amused at joan's naive way of referring to her advice as if it had been a valuable present to a hostile leader who was saved by it from making a censurable blunder of omission and then he went on to admire how ingeniously she had deceived that man and yet had not told him anything that was not the truth this troubled joan and she said i thought he was deceiving himself i forbore to tell him lies for that would have been wrong but if my truth deceived him perhaps that made them lies and i am to blame i would god i knew if i have done wrong she was assured that she had done right and that in the perils and necessities of war deceptions that help one's own cause and hurt the enemies were always permissible but she was not quite satisfied with that and thought that even when a great cause was in danger one ought to have the privilege of trying honorable ways first jean said joan you told us yourself that you were going to uncle laxard's to nurse his wife but you didn't say you were going further yet you did go on to vaucouleurs there i see now said joan sorrowfully i told no lie yet i deceived i had tried all other ways first but i could not get away and i had to get away my mission required it i did wrong i think and am to blame she was silent a moment turning the matter over in her mind then she added with quiet decision but the thing itself was right and i would do it again it seemed an overnice distinction but nobody said anything if we had known her as well as she knew herself and as her later history revealed her to us we should have perceived that she had a clear meaning there and that her position was not identical with ours as we were supposing but occupied a higher plane she would sacrifice herself and her best self that is her truthfulness to save her cause but only that she would not buy her life at that cost whereas our war ethics permitted the purchase of our lives, or any mere military advantage small or great, by deception. Her saying seemed a commonplace at the time, the essence of its meaning escaping us, but one sees now that it contained a principle which lifted it above that, and made it great and fine. Presently the wind died down, the sleet stopped falling, and the cold was less severe. The road was become a bog and the horses labored through it at a walk they could do no better. As the heavy time wore on exhaustion overcame us, and we slept in our saddles. Not even the dangers that threatened us could keep us awake. The tenth night seemed longer than any of the others, and of course it was the hardest, because we had been accumulating fatigue from the beginning, and had more of it on hand now than at any previous time. But we were not molested again when the dull dawn came at last we saw a river before us and we knew it was the loire we entered the town of dion and knew we were in a friendly land with the hostels all behind us that was a glad morning for us we were a worn and bedraggled and shabby-looking troop and still as always joan was the freshest of us all in both body and spirits we had averaged above thirteen leagues a night by tortuous and wretched roads it was a remarkable march and shows what men can do when they have a leader with a determined purpose and a resolution that never flags. End of chapter four.